All right, we're going to continue in our series together for the gospel as we look at our vision and mission uh, here at New City Fellowship. I want to read to you again uh, the first part uh, of that vision statement, which says this, to join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids. And I'm going to talk again today about gospel ministry. We talked uh, about that a little bit on last week. Uh, and we're going to look again for just a few moments. Uh, talked last week about uh, the character uh, of gospel ministry. And we'll talk this week about the pattern of that ministry. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again, and we will begin reading at verse, at verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you." So we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God of God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do give you praise and honor and thanks and glory. We praise you, Lord, for your Word. And we pray now that, all, that as all of us sit under its authority, that you, by the power of your Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, Lord, that you would do that work in us, that you would make us more like your Son and our Lord. Jesus Christ. We come to you and ask it in his name. Amen. A.J. Swoboda in his book, Subversive Sabbath, writes this. He says, in 1991, a yet-to-be-identified flea market enthusiast discovered a simple picture frame to his liking. In securing the purchase, the shopper returned home only to discover, uh, only to discover an ancient document hiding inconspicuously behind the frame. And thinking little of the discovery, he continued about his life, and two years later, a friend stumbled on the document and investigated its origin, and the rest, as they say, is history. The $4 frame had hidden a first edition copy of the Declaration of Independence, reportedly worth north of $1 million. This accidental discovery is not isolated. There was the contractor who found $180,000 in a bathroom wall he was remodeling. The 
Chinese bowl later sold at Sotheby's for $2.2 million. It was a treasure from the Northern Song Dynasty. And there was that California family who stumbled on a can of ancient gold coins in their backyard valued at $10 million. To borrow Calvin's words from Bill Watterson's iconic comic strip, there's treasure everywhere. Not only do treasures of gold and silver lie hidden everywhere around us, but priceless ideas do as well. History is the story of ideas lost and found, disappearing and reappearing time and again to the surface. While many of us love priceless ideas, I am sure that many of us would love to be in the position of those who found those priceless treasures that brought financial reward. Indeed, finding priceless treasure has been a theme in Hollywood movies and in fictional stories at every age level. We love the idea of finding something priceless. Even Jesus made this human desire part of one of his parables, comparing the kingdom to a merchant who spent his time searching for fine pearls, who found one of great price. We love treasure. And yet every one of us sitting here who have our faith in Jesus are actually the beneficiaries of the greatest treasure of all time. Jesus wasn't being misleading when he compared the kingdom of God to finding a pearl of great price. For while financial hardship and the desire for things of this world may cause us to long for material treasure, the real source of our angst, of our disappointment in life, of our sense of loss, of purpose, of of our anger, of our despondency is our separation from God. It is in our being outside of the kingdom of God, that is, in rebellion towards that God who created us in His image and after His likeness. We keep setting other rulers over us, hoping that they will make, that they will take away all those feelings that I mentioned above, but they can't. No human ruler, no material ruler can restore us back to God, but the treasure of the gospel can. The message of Christ, who died for our rebellion, was buried, rose again from the dead, and sat down at the right hand of God to subdue all His and our enemies, those enemies that seek to keep us from God. That message, that message, if we believe it, secures our place in God's kingdom and all the blessings of membership in that kingdom that the Bible speaks to us of. And here's the thing for us as a church. This gospel treasure has been given to us to disperse to others. That's right. This treasure is not found treasure. It is given treasure. It is treasure that is now meant to be shared with those around us. We as God's church have been given what God considers as priceless, the only treasure that can restore people's spiritual fortunes. We carry that message, brothers and sisters, that restores people to their place as described in Romans 8 and verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. To join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids is to join 
in as those carrying this treasure, a treasure that is available to all those who believe. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that the treasure we carry is not the American dream. The treasure we carry is not the American dream. It is not a seat at the table of political power. It is not cultural privilege wrapped in Christian garb. It is not the historical fiction of progress, which has often been progress for one group at the expense of the other. The treasure we carry is a treasure that is and will set all things right in us and set all things right in this world. The good news about Jesus is that treasure and the ministry we have received is the ministry of sharing that treasure in Southeast Grand Rapids and beyond. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us as we serve this community to have been given this treasure? What is the shape of the life of those who have been given this treasure? I want to talk for just a few moments about about a pattern, about a paradox, and about a purpose. A pattern, a paradox, and a purpose. Let's first of all talk about this pattern. Many of us, if we're honest, if we're honest, we want to engage in ministry in the same way we want to engage in everyday living. That is, from a position of strength. We want to engage in ministry from a position of strength. While we may admire the story of the underdog overcoming the odds and beating the favorite, the weak binding together to take down the strong, the poor rising out of poverty to take their seat among the wealthy of the world, our real and daily operating passion or desire is to not be weak in the first place, but rather to secure positions of strength and then work, live, play, and minister out of that strength. We don't like weakness. We don't like weakness. And if we're truly honest, we have something of a tense relationship with the Scriptures. Constant reminder that God moves and works most profoundly in those places of human weakness. I recently, I recently heard a guy explaining the story of David and Goliath to a room of people in which he was laboring, laboring to convince them, Dr. Washington, that, that David's sling was in fact a weapon of war, and that David's skill with this weapon meant that the battle between David and Goliath was not as unevenly matched as we sometimes suppose. But Goliath's reaction to David's stature as well as the supposed weapon he was carrying, was one of contempt. And David's own words, pointing to Goliath's human weaponry and his ultimate trust in Yahweh, shows that David did not think himself a match for Goliath apart from God's strength being available to him. I tell this story because the image that Paul sets up in our text of the treasure, which I believe refers to the message of Christ, the gospel, is said to have been placed in clay pots, in vessels made out of dirt, made out of clay. 
And Paul tells us why God places this gospel in clay pots, why he entrusts the testimony of the gospel to human beings. It is, as he says, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The point is this, brothers and sisters, it is not our strength that shows the greatness of God's power, the power made known in the message of the gospel, but rather our human frailty. It is in the places where our human frailty is evident that the power of God in Christ shines forth. And this power of God being made known in human frailty is a pattern. I noted Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 last week, and I'll note them again this week. For he says there, but he said to me, that is God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul makes a conclusion. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. So that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here's the truth, brothers and sisters. Whether we want to be clay pots or not, we are clay pots. We can mask, listen to me, we can mask, we can mask our, weakness, our weaknesses through the machinery of strength, but at the end of the day, we are clay pots. We are breakable. We are destructible. We are mortal. Yet it is in that space that God shines the might of His power. It is in that space of our human weaknesses that God shines the might of His power. That very place where God comes to show the world His strength to save. It is in your tears, in your hardships, in your bearing up under insult and persecution that God comes and works His salvation. And the message about Christ becomes real in those spaces where weakness meets God's power to save. Let me say that again. The message about Christ becomes real in those spaces where weakness meets God's power to save. The call here is summed up in a phrase I just used a few moments ago. It is in refusing to rely on the machinery of strength, the machinery of worldly strength. I confess that there is nuance here, for we live in a physical world where material resources and human alliances and physical skills are important to the work God has called us to. Yet there's a real difference between trusting God to provide those things and trusting in those things themselves. Trusting in those things often draws us into all sorts of underhanded, manipulative, and self-centered practices. Paul's opponents in Corinth 
trusted in these things, particularly their own skills, which led them to advancing their own names rather than the name of Christ. Successful ministries, I put that in quotations, often fall prey to the temptation to make worldly metrics of success, numbers, credentials, resources, the aim rather than the flourishing of those they serve. But trusting in God's power, when, when, even when great ministry is taking place, watch this, trusting in God's power, even when great ministry is taking place, often means that we are out of money, that we are stretched in terms of volunteers, and not always polished in our presentation. <laughs> and this is not because people are not working hard, not recruiting people, or not working to present the good news clearly, but because weak people, working among weak people, often equals weakness. <laughs> Say it again, just to, just to help you. Weak people, which is you and I, clay pots, working among weak people who are clay pots, often equals weakness. But listen, this is where this is where those seasons of affliction come that Paul talked about, where those seasons of confusion and perplex, per, perplexing come. This is where those seasons of persecution comes. This is where those seasons of being struck down by our enemies comes. Satan doesn't attack when things are at their best. He attacks when you're weak. So weak people working among weak people equals weakness, and then Satan comes and brings affliction and perplexing and all those other things. But watch this. God then sees that and says, my time. I wish I had some witnesses in the house. Embracing this means that we spend as much time praying for God's power to be made known in our weakness as we do in doing the ministry itself. The point, New City, is that weakness is not an indicator that we need to quit. It is an indicator that we need to pray, trusting God's power to be made known in that very place where we are weak. You don't like, we don't like weakness, but we love God's power, right? You know, how to get, you know how you get to God's power? By embracing weakness. Because it's difficult for God to work when you got your chest puffed out. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So the pattern, the pattern is the embracing of weakness which then brings God's power, which then makes the testimony about Christ real to those we are preaching and proclaiming it to. So there's a pattern that we must embrace, this pattern of weakness, which then brings about the display of God's power. And if you've been in ministry for any length of time, you know this is actually how this works, <laughs> is when you are at your weakest that God shows up. And makes his power known. So there's a pattern. But then there's also a paradox. There's a pattern. There's a paradox. And closely tied to the pattern of gospel ministry is the paradox of gospel ministry. 
And a paradox is a statement that appears absurd or contradictory, but when investigated, turns out to be true. And so Paul sets forth four seemingly contradictory statements side by side, that's, and then sums them up in, verse, in the truth of verse 10. So let me read it to you again. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. How can an all-encompassing set of afflictions not crush you? How can persecution leave you feeling supported rather than forsaken? How can a season of deep confusion leave you not despairing? How can a crushing blow of violence leave you not destroyed? Any of us who have experienced the things Paul mentions above know what it feels like to be crushed, to be despairing. To, to, to feel forsaken and destroyed. Yet Paul's statement suggests that these feelings, these realities, are not final feelings or realities. They are not the state in which God leaves us permanently. But how can this be, we might ask? How, how can things that, that are designed to kill you Designed to discourage you, designed to leave you abandoned, designed to crush you, not do so. Indeed, if, if there's any hope for such a thing to be true, where or in what is it grounded? And Paul tells us in, in verse 10, he reminds us, uh, reminds us that those of us who are in Christ, that is, who are in relationship with Him, are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Listen to me this morning, people. We are not the walking dead. Our story is not defined only by the carrying of death. Yes, being attached to Jesus means carrying sorrows. It means carrying griefs. It means we carry insults against our person. It means we carry the trauma of watching human beings do great evil in the world. It, it means we carry the burden of hearing and seeing the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It means we carry the potential for, for the persecution and, and assault of our bodies, even unto death. Jesus carried all of this and then some in a way we can never do ourselves. For the Scripture declares that God laid on Him the sins of us all. Yet in some measure, being attached to Jesus means we carry these things too. But listen to the Apostle Paul. For death is not the only reality that is at work in your mortal body, in your mortal existence. For the one who rose from the dead has also given to all those who trust in him the reality of eternal life, the life of Jesus, the life that the Bible tells us is on the other side of death, is already in, at work in those of us who believe. We are clay pots, but we are indestructible clay pots because the life of Christ is in us. And I'm not, listen to me, I'm not minimizing the death we face. I'm only reminding us who believe that when death has done all it can to us, it must give way to the eternal life that is also at work in us. 
we don't escape death's ultimate purpose of crushing us, of leaving us in despair, of for, leaving us forsaken or struck down because we read a lot of books and have become enlightened. We don't escape death's ultimate purpose for us because, because we, we tapped into the strength of, of the human will and, and, and found our zeal to carry on. We don't, we don't escape death's ultimate purpose for us because we have attained the American dream and insulated ourselves from all of life's problems. No, we escape death's ultimate purpose for us because death was conquered by the power of God through the death of Christ who gives life to all who trust in Him. You don't just carry death, you carry the life of God. And watch what Paul says, because he doesn't just say you carry the life of God in the future. He says right now in your mortal body, the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus is at work in you. That's the paradox. (laughs) Folk who enter into death for the sake of Jesus also those who experience the life of Jesus working on the inside of them. <laughs> That's the great paradox of the Christian life, is that we simultaneously share in the death and the life of Jesus. Both truths are at work in us who believe. And what this means, what this means for ministry, New City, as we think about joining in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids, what this means for ministry is that we can enter into those places of suffering for our Lord, those places where death seems evident with the expectation that we are not only going to see death, but life as well. Listen to me. There are places and circumstances in our community that seem like places that breed death. Racial divides, prisons, homelessness, poverty, and the like. Christians, listen, Christians can enter those spaces because we are those who carry in our body both the death of Jesus, His entering into our suffering and dying for our sake, and the life of Jesus, His resurrection from the dead. All I'm saying is that if we are sitting back, looking at the spaces in our community where we think death is at work, if we're sitting back and looking at those spaces and shaking our head, we're pointing our fingers at the mess. What we need to be doing is taking our paradoxical selves into those spaces, announcing through our message and our ministry that Christ died and rose again from the dead to set people free from all the ways that sin and death is working its way into their lives and into their communities. We must go to the prisons. We must go to the spaces of homelessness. We must go to those spaces of poverty and the like and proclaim Christ through our words and with actions that demonstrate the reality of those words. You are carrying the life that people need to receive. You not only know the death that's at work in those spaces, because that death is at work in you, you also know the life of God. There's a pattern of embracing weakness and expecting God's power to come as we embrace that weakness. There's a paradox 
of carrying both the death of Jesus, the sorrow, the insults, the persecutions, but then also breathing life into those places because the life of Jesus is on the inside of you. <laughs> and when you show up, life shows up. Did you know that? When, when you actually, if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, when you show up, life shows up. You know why? Because the life of Jesus is on the inside of you. So there's a pattern. <laughs> there's a paradox. There's a purpose. Carrying this treasure of the gospel, this message about the person of Christ means embracing the pattern of God's displaying His power in our human frailty. It means living within the paradox of simultaneously carrying both death and life in the same body. But it's also entering into this pattern and this paradox that God's purpose might be achieved. That glory is brought to Him as His grace extends to more and more people. I got news for you this morning. God is not stingy with His grace. God is not stingy in His dispensing of salvation to the human community. We sometimes hold our doctrines of salvation in the Reformed world as if God were trying to hold back His love from the human community, as if God were after building some small elite club. I'm a, by the way, I'm a subscriber to the Westminster Confession of Faith and a champion of His doctrines of salvation a believer in God's sovereign purposes of election, of choosing us for salvation for the, before the foundations of the world. But I hold that doctrine in keeping with the scriptural declaration found in Revelation 7-9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. God is not stingy with His grace, isn't stingy with the dispensing of His salvation to the human community. God knows those who are His, but that number from our perspective is an innumerable, multinational, multi-tribal, multi-people, multilingual community. In declaring that the gospel in declaring that gospel ministry is for all for their sake, Paul is saying, in essence, the reason we embrace the pattern of bearing our human frailty, that God's power might be made known, the reason we enter into this lifestyle of carrying both the death and life of Jesus in our mortal bodies is so that God's grace might keep reaching more and more people. And if you know Paul, then you know that Paul's more people aren't just people who look like him, aren't just people who talk like him, aren't just people who walk like him. It ain't some elite club who think they dot all their theological I's perfectly or cross all their theological T's perfectly. It ain't for those who share the same educational and political and class backgrounds. No, it's for those who don't talk like us, those whom the Romans call barbarians and we call hood. <laughs> it's for those who bear God's image, whom people in almost every generation of human history have hailed unjustly as slaves. It's for Jew. It's for Gentile. It's for free. It's for male. 
It's for female. It's for every category of sinner. And oh, by the way, it's for your enemies too. And so, application, (laughs) our joining in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids can't be limited to our favorite group, whoever that is. It's got to be more people as God defines it in the Scriptures. And watch this. Those people must be received as God receives them. Favored. (laughs) Just, I'm not making this up, right? Just notice the text. So that God's grace, and what what is grace? God's unmerited favor might extend to more and more people. That means God's favor doesn't just rest on you, and it doesn't just rest on me. It doesn't just rest on people from my community or your community. It rests on more and more people. Because God is after the rescue of people from among all the nations and all the families of the human community. Amen, people of God. And so, I've been here a year now, so let me be blunt. Our partnerships can't just be with majority culture-led organizations and churches. It has to be with minority-led organizations and churches as well. We must, in fact, prioritize those relationships that draw us into community with those who are not like us. There are too many. You all listen to your pastor this morning. There are too many Reformed and Presbyterian ministries that I know of operating in and around minority communities that are led by majority culture people who are not partnering with minority organizations or churches. And that's a problem. It simply cannot continue. And for us, here at New City, in Grand Rapids, it has to be a priority to find minorities who, can part, who we can partner with in proclaiming the good news of God's love and word and deed in our community. And the call for us as a church is to pray for those partnerships, to seek them out, to work hard at strengthening them and maintaining them, It means listening to and learning from Christians from among the nations whom God has placed around us. This is extremely important. This letter to the church in Corinth was a letter written to a church that had Jew and Gentile in the church. And they needed to learn how to work together to advance the treasure of the gospel that God had given them so that more and more people in Corinth would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that meant they had to learn to work with each other across all of those barriers that divide us. Amen, people of God. I'll take my seat. The treasure, (laughs) the treasure of the message of the gospel has been entrusted to us to share with the community around us. That, 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 That first part of our vision statement, to join in gospel ministry, In Southeast Grand Rapids, we are called to do that very thing, 
to take this gospel treasure and to share it with the community and world around us. And that calling draws us, brothers and sisters, into this pattern where our human frailty, our weakness, becomes the stage on which God displays His glory. It draws us into that paradox of living where our human, it draws us into that paradox of living where the experience of death is accompanied by the power of Christ's resurrection life at work in us. And it draws us toward God's purpose that His grace might extend to more and more people. May we hold this treasure new city as God shows us in this passage. And may Southeast Grand Rapids, our region, and the world see it displayed in us for the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we want to embrace this pattern. We want to embrace this paradox. We want to embrace this purpose. We want the treasure of the gospel that you have placed in us. We want to see that treasure, Lord, shared with those in our community and abroad. So we pray for the power of Christ to rest upon us, to enable us by the power of the Spirit to embrace this pattern, embrace this paradox, embrace this purpose that the good news of the gospel might indeed flourish in us and among us, but that it might also flourish through us to those around us. We pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.